Today on Blue 58, make it three wins in a row for the Packers who handled a depleted Steelers team just about exactly how we thought they would. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Another win. 3-1, and one, the Green Bay Packers this year, and I'm happy to be there with them. Happy to be here with you as well. Look... Packers did what was expected of them in this one and little more, and I think that's fine. Classic line you hear is there are no style points in the box score. There wouldn't be a lot of room for style points in this one. There were some good points. There were some sloppy points as well, but a win is a win is a win. It was a solid win, if not spectacular. I'm reminded of two games thinking of this one. First one all the way back in 2018. Remember when the Packers played the Dolphins that year? Yeah, me neither. The Packers pushed through that day for a sloppy win, a game they were supposed to win. They were favored to win. The Dolphins were bad. They were supposed to win at Lambeau Field, and they did. And I cannot remember a single thing about that game from the first time I watched it through. Only things I've learned since and gone back to to watch again and things like that. Other than that, it was utterly forgettable because the Packers did what they were supposed to do. didn't do it particularly well, but they did it. They got the win, and then they moved on to the next week. The 2020 Texans game also comes to mind. The Packers went into that game in Houston pretty beat up, but played well enough to win. They used an offensive scheme that day that was not particularly exciting or aesthetically pleasing. A lot of quick, short passes, negotiating the ball down the field. They piled up yards and points and got enough to win. And again, it wasn't pretty. But it was a win. And that kind of brings us to where we are, I think, today. It wasn't pretty today. It wasn't a polished win. But a week after the emotional high that was beating the San Francisco 49ers on the road in prime time on a last-second field goal, in a week where you're missing your starting left tackle, your second-string left tackle, and number one left guard, your number two receiver, who is unique on the roster as we've seen, and you've just found out that you're probably going to be without your top pass rusher for the remainder of the season, maybe slightly before the end of the season or the playoffs if they're lucky. In those circumstances, I think just getting out of a game with a win isn't necessarily a bad thing. Well, it's never a bad thing to win, but it, it's not something you should feel bad about or apologize for. Sure, you could be better, but you got the win, and chances are things are going to get better from here. I think we're ultimately going to look back at this game as somewhere between those two extremes, the 2018 Dolphins game, the 2020 Texans game, between utterly forgettable and just doing enough to win. And I think that's okay. That's something we have to emphasize again and again. You shouldn't feel bad about winning. I don't feel bad about how the Packers played today. Yeah, sure, it could be better. But it could have been worse, too. It could have been a loss to a team that they should beat, a team that they were favored to beat at home. But they didn't. They beat the Steelers by 10, covered the spread, and then some. They overperformed expectations, if you look at it that way. If you're looking for a metaphor, as I so often am in these shows... I think this game felt a little bit like a movie in a franchise that's gone well past the point of trying to make good movies. Let's pick a franchise at random. Oh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Sure, that's a good one. Well, it was at one point. 
at a certain point they stopped trying to make movies that were actually interesting and had new things in them and just decided to just make movies that had some of the actors you recognized and that's it. They were just there to cash the check. Well, 10 years from now, we'll look back and think about a game where Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb all played together and it was nothing special at all. The only thing that mattered was the Packers getting the win. The big names showed up. They did enough to make a a coherent enough game that the Packers came out on top. And sometimes that's all you need. A couple months from now when the, the playoff hunt is coming to a close, all the wins you've piled up to that point are going to feel pretty good if you've got a lead. And uh, this could be one of those. Just get the W. And the Packers did that today. Let's talk about some good things uh, that happened in this game. The offense today was more explosive than I think we've seen at any point this season so far. I know it's only four games old or whatever, but um, the Packers got explosive plays from at least five different guys. I don't have my full totals on that yet, but I saw explosive plays from Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard, and A.J. Dillon. Jones and Dillon both had explosive plays as runners and receivers. To me, it was especially great to see Jones getting involved in the way he was in the passing game. A lot of him split out wide, running routes underneath Devontae Adams, just into wide open spaces in the middle of the field. And when he gets into those wide open spaces, that's exactly where you want Aaron Jones to be. And he made the most of it when he did. Exciting stuff. Great looking offense today at points and uh, more explosive than I think we've seen at any game so far this year. Also really like to see some better situational play calling. What did we harp on after last week's game Uh, and throughout this week, at least a little bit? Well, it's a big question of a big six foot, 247 pound question. That question is AJ Dillon. Why don't you use him in short yardage situations? Well, what did they do today? At least twice, AJ Dillon took the ball on third and one and got first downs running straight up the middle. Good to see. This is a short bullet point, but I think it's it's worth pointing out that the Packers did something we've all been asking them to do. Just use your 250-pound sledgehammer and get a yard. And they did. When they weren't throwing to Randall Cobb, they turned around and handed it to A.J. Dillon, and he got him the first down. Overall, too, I think we've got to say the defense was a good thing. You could quibble at some points, and believe me, I am about to, but the bottom line result is good. 17 points against an NFL team. Not too bad. And Jay Harris, 62 yards on 15 carries, just 4.1 a clip. Not too bad there either in terms of run defense. And the Packers were able to play a little complimentary football and get the Steelers out of situations where they really could rely on running the ball anyway. When they did have to throw, and they did, Ben Roethlisberger needed 40 attempts to get to 232 yards. And if you take away that 45-yard touchdown, the one that included a pretty egregious push-off late in the play, if you ask me, and you are because you're listening to the show, uh, taking away that play, he averaged 4.79 yards per attempt, only slightly better than his running back counterpart. You can live with that. And the Packers did. 40 attempts to get to 232 yards. That's a good defensive effort. Three bad things, though. Real quick here, don't want to spend too much time harping on the defense here. And the first one isn't really a defensive thing in particular, just happens to be the side of the ball on which Jair Alexander plays. And 
his injury is probably the worst thing that comes out of this game. Really bad break for him, or as the case may be, really bad AC joint sprain for him. We don't know if it's bad or the severity yet, but that looks to be what it's going to be in the in you know in common language a shoulder dislocation. Just kind of a freak injury there. Making a tackle, something we've seen him do dozens of times. I would guess that Jair Alexander is probably not going to be 100% again this season. The only question is how long he's going to be out and how long this injury is going to hamper him to the degree that he either needs assistance or is not a reasonable approximation of the Jair Alexander we all know and love. This is the kind of injury where it could be no time at all that he's out. Could be two or three weeks, could be a month, could be longer. He could come back sooner or and then just take a while to get back to, to full strength. He's probably going to be wearing one of those cool-looking shoulder harnesses, which are, you know, they look like cool accessories, but you'd rather not have somebody wear them, obviously. But uh, really a big bummer to come out of this game is that injury, considering how well he has played to this point this year. Push-off touchdown notwithstanding. Secondly, also on defense and related to their actual performance, I, I would say the pass rush was a little disappointing today. I do realize that I said I'd be quibbling, taking issue with the defense, but I'm left wanting a bit more from the pass rush. Two sacks is nice, but there were more there for the taking, especially against a guy like Ben Roethlisberger, who is hardly the most mobile quarterback, who is hardly ever the most mobile quarterback and certainly isn't anymore. Seems like there was more out there. And I think if you want to project this into a bigger thing, this shows that the Packers do need a little bit more juice in their pass rush. They should be turning over every stone they can to try to find another pass rusher who can contribute in any way outside of Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith. Great to see Smith playing a little bit better this year, but he is now banged up too. Uh, Great to see Rashawn Gary get a sack. Still need more out of him. But outside of those two, you've got Jonathan Garvin coming in as your third edge rusher. That's not great considering that a team like the Steelers, who didn't have a great day rushing the passer necessarily, are rolling out Melvin Ingram as their third pass rusher. We talked about that in the preview a little bit. If you're in the situation where Melvin Ingram is your third edge rusher, or even just a complimentary guy, whether you want to say second or third or whatever, you're doing pretty well. The Packers would love to be in a situation like that, but currently they are quite far from it. Finally, I don't like how much of the defense's performance today came down to relying on Ben Roethlisberger making mistakes. Again, Don't want to undersell the defensive performance. They were good, but their performance wouldn't have looked quite as good had Ben Roethlisberger done something revolutionary like, I don't know, hit his open receivers when they've cooked Chandon Sullivan in the slot. Juju Smith-Schuster should have had two scores because he was running basically unencumbered down the field on at least two two occasions, and Ben Roethlisberger just missed him. Kirk Cousins makes those throws. If the Packers have that kind of performance against Cousins when they play him twice this year, that'll be Justin Jefferson scoring touchdowns. Can't have that. As it was, it was Ben Roethlisberger, and he missed those throws, and then he wandered over to the sideline and looked like he was looking for somebody else to blame. I don't know who else that would be. Uh, But, man, a couple missed opportunities for the Steelers in this one. And uh, if they hit those opportunities, the defensive performance looks a lot different. But them's the breaks. That's how football goes. Uh, 
What's the quote from The Office? I don't, I don't even want to try to murder that one. Let's do it anyway. Uh, the, I think it's from late in the run there. Uh, Dwight says something like, if, on, if, if onlys and butts were candies and nuts, every day would be earned to Donkfest. You know, if you hit every play, everybody would be undefeated. Steelers didn't. They lost. Packers win. Anyway, what does it mean? Packers are 3-1 and one now, top of the NFC North quite comfortably. They got through, I think, today what could be their most injury-affected game they'll play this year, at least heading into a game. We don't know what Jair Alexander's situation is yet, but um, I'm assuming the Packers are not going to be down four starters in a game again. Elton Jenkins probably back next week. If I had to guess before too long after that, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, he probably comes off of injured reserve on the shorter end, they made it sound like. Then not too long after that, one David Bakhtiari returns to the lineup. And as the Packers build towards the playoffs, it's always nice to be getting guys like that back into the lineup. What happens next? They head to Cincinnati to play the Bengals, the 3-1 and Bengals, the 3-1 and AFC North leading Bengals. Bengals won this week on Thursday Night Football over the Jaguars. Playing much better in general. Uh, the Packers will be next at home on October 24th because next week, they uh, they head to Cincinnati the week after they head to Chicago. Then they return home October 24th to wear their new uh, throwback uniforms against the Washington football team. October 24th, Bengals, Bears, throwbacks, the next three games up. Let's clear out the notebook and send you on your merry way, uh, either into the start of your work week or into your evening. Uh, we should have this out before Sunday evening is out. If you'd like to listen to it then, well, you're welcome. Uh, short list today. Not a whole lot to to really pull out of this game other than I think what we saw on the field. That's a benefit of games like this sometimes, I think. It, it's it's uncomplicated. The Packers did what they were supposed to do, what they were expected to do. What they were expected to do was to handle the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they did. Uh, clearing out the notebook, though, uh, injuries forced some shuffling on the edge today. We did see a lot of Jonathan Garvin today. But on top of Garvin, uh, I saw a little bit of Oren Burks on the outside there today, too. Worth noting, I'm not really sure what to make of that or what Burks can offer, if anything, as an edge rusher. But still, uh, he is athletic. Uh, though he doesn't have a lot of size, you'd figure that a guy with the athleticism that he has might be able to be skimmed into places where he's making an impact on opposing offenses. So just file that away in the back of your head. You never know when that could pop up again. Speaking of pass rush stuff, Kingsley Kiki's sack today was his first since week 13 of 2020. I actually had forgotten that he had two sacks against the Eagles late last season, but he did to go with the two sacks he had against the New Orleans Saints early in the year. This is the first time that Kiki has gotten a sack in his career without getting a second one in the same game. So career sack number five today, first time he's ever gotten a solo sack in a game. Uh, Randall Cobb obviously was uh, making repeated house calls today, two touchdowns on the day. Uh, His first touchdown at Lambeau Field since week 14 of the 2018 season. Uh, He scored that day against the Atlanta Falcons, in the only win of the Joe Philbin era. This was also his first multi-touchdown game with the Packers since week three of the 2015 season. It's been a while since we saw a performance like this from Randall Cobb, and it was pretty cool to see. Related to Randall Cobb, we've got to talk a little bit about Amari Rogers, a very little bit about Amari Rogers, not a lot to add here, but he does seem to be carving out a little bit more of a role 
on offense, lining up a, a little bit like an H-back a couple times, threw a great block for A.J. Dillon, springing him for a few yards on a, on a nice run to the outside. There seems to be opportunities available for him there. And with Amar, uh, with uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling out, there could be more opportunities just for him to get on the field at all. And once he's on the field, who knows what Matt LaFleur decides to cook up for him. I'll admit to being a little bit disappointed with Amari Rodgers through the first three, four weeks of the season here, sure. But uh, he's got ability, and uh, with a play caller as creative as Matt LaFleur, hey, you never know what could happen. Opportunities are going to, to appear there. Finally, I want to talk for a second about Aaron Rodgers hitting 420 touchdowns, equaling Dan Marino. Just a wild thing to think about for a bunch of reasons and shows shows exactly where the game is today. Wild first for how long Dan Marino was unassailable. For so many years, it looked like a virtual impossibility that someone could catch up to where he was on the all-time touchdown leaderboard. But now a bunch of people have passed him. Aaron Rodgers is just the latest to come equal and surely is going to pass him. The second notable thing there, just how many people have done it now, sure. Uh, but the third thing, and I think as a, a person creating stuff about the Packers, this is what really rattles home for me. It's absolutely insane that we've now seen two Packers players do this, get to 420 or above. How spoiled have we been? And I use that somewhat tongue-in-cheek because... People around the internet love to remind Packers fans that we're spoiled. Yeah, we get it. I'm not going to apologize for it either. I've had some great quarterback play. Sure. Awesome. Uh, and it's great for us. Um, but I'm not going to you know, sit around and be sad about a potential future where they don't have amazing quarterback play because that's then, this is now. And right now, the Packers quarterbacks, or really for the last 30 years, the Packers quarterbacks have been kicking everybody's butt. And it's pretty cool to see. And we've been uh, been able to enjoy that for quite some time now. And I'm, I'm happy to have been there uh, right along with, with most of you as well. Uh, kind of related to this, though, it shows just how the game has changed today. Shortly before I hit record here, Tom Brady broke uh, Drew Brees' all-time passing yardage record. And I saw someone on Twitter whose name I will not name because they're someone I respect. But uh, talking about how Brady just set an unbreakable record which strikes me as just incredibly short-sighted to say something like that. Why would you believe that this record is is unbreakable, given what we've seen in the NFL as a whole over the last, I don't know, just to pull a, a random example out of my head, a decade? Over the past 10 years, four different players, five different players, if you want to count the original holder, Dan Marino, have held the top spot on that leaderboard. Marino, Brett Favre, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and now Tom Brady. Philip Rivers has also passed Dan Marino in the meantime as well. Do you really think that the game changing the way it is to be more and more pass-focused with more games in it than ever, with quarterbacks who are more protected than ever, can't produce a player who can surpass the yardage total that Tom Brady has put up? Ran the numbers on this just a little bit. If Patrick Mahomes only plays 200 more games at his current pace, 308 yards per game, he'll be within 5,000 yards of where Brady is right now. If he gets to the same number of games that Brady has played, and that's a huge if, Brady has played a bajillion years, but if he gets to that many games, 
he'll blow Brady's record out of the water. And it won't even take him as many games as it took Brady to get to that total just because of how the game has changed. I would just caution everybody watching football, and maybe this is because we're just coming off reading through Blood, Sweat, and Chalk, but anybody watching football and suggesting this is how it's always going to be doesn't know all that much about football. They certainly don't know anything about history. Because if you go back not too far into history of the NFL, it was it was an entirely different game. Less than 15 years ago, now maybe a little bit more than that, less than 20 years ago, there were multiple running backs putting up 1,500, 1,800-yard seasons. Think about the year that Amon Green had in 2003. 1,883 yards, and he wasn't even close to being the best running back in the league that year. Priest Holmes blew him out of the water. That's how different the game was less than 20 years ago. And we're just so sure that something we're seeing right now is as good as it's ever going to be. Come on, let's not be that short-sighted. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate you riding along with us for another Packers win. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it even more if you would share it with someone you think would enjoy it too. That helps more people find the show, gets more people listening, gets more people involved in this conversation we're having about the Green Bay Packers, and ultimately helps all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.